As we continue our theme of lessons gleaned from specific passages in the Bible, this week's podcast focuses on some of the lessons learned from the parable of the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15. God cares deeply for each and every person in this world. Each soul is valuable and precious to him. Join Mike Vestal as he explores the deeper understanding of God's love and concern for us seen through this simple parable. It is the most glorious thing that we could ever contemplate. Our God is a God who is guilty by association. You and I will never look on the face of another human being who does not matter to God. And in Luke chapter 15, there is a number of stories recorded for us. There are several parables recorded that all give the same basic message. It is a beautiful drama consisting of three parables. And what is being said in this chapter, Luke chapter 15, is that God cares. That we will never look on the face of another human being who does not matter to God. For those of us who are Christians, how well do we convey that thought, that concept, that every soul matters to God? What shall a man be profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Matthew 16 and verse 26. Well, here in Luke chapter 15, we see from God's holy word just how much God cares. That God values, that God considers every soul to be precious. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, the Word of God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. How true. And how we see this to be the case in Luke chapter 15. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verses uh, 17 through 19, God's Word speaks of the breadth and depth and length and height of God's love that surpasses all knowledge, all comprehension. How true it is that God's love can't completely be understood. It's something that we can't fathom. It's beyond our comprehension, but what a blessing it is to try to understand God's great love for us. Here in Luke chapter 15, three pictures, three parables of one drama showing just how much that God loves us. But when we think about Luke chapter 15 and what it has to say in three parables concerning God being guilty by association that He loves sinners, that's to be sure. But there's also this thought that joy is the serious business of heaven. A philosopher and theologian by the name of C.S. Lewis said that years ago, that joy is the serious business of heaven. And what a wonderful thought that is. Because you see, as we consider Luke chapter 15, we see that when the lost sheep is found, in Luke 15 and verse 7, there is joy. There's a celebration. When you 
Look at Luke 15, verses 8 through 10, and the lost coin is found. There is great joy. There is a marvelous celebration. And when you look at Luke 15 and verses 11 through 32, when the lost son, the prodigal son, the wasteful son returns, there's great joy. So really, when Jesus gave these three stories, and that's one of the reasons why, in my judgment, hands down, one of the greatest short stories that you can ever find is right here in Luke 15. But it's really three short stories, all showing one great drama, that God cares for lost souls, and that joy is the serious business of heaven. In Psalm 16 and verse 11, in His presence, that is God's, there is fullness of joy. In His right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is referred to as our exceeding joy in Psalm 43 and verse 4. And when you think about it, what we have in the Bible, what we have in the Word of God has been written so that our joy might be full 1 John 1 and verse 4. And considering Luke chapter 15, in so many ways it really is the gospel in miniature, the good news of salvation in story form. God values, God loves, God considers precious people, His creation, lost souls, And joy is the serious business of heaven. God wants people to know His joy. But as I think about Luke 15, and as we think about this great chapter and all of its implications, there's also this concept. There's this idea that the farther we get from God, we may enjoy passing pleasures, but we miss out on lasting joy. In other words, departing from God may have with it something that accompanies it, some passing pleasures, temporary pleasures. However, one forfeits lasting, deep joy. Isn't that precisely what happened with the wasteful son, the prodigal, In Luke 15, verses 11 through 24, whenever he demands his inheritance and goes to the far country, a great famine occurs after he had spent all of his inheritance and no one gives him anything. There were some pleasures in sin for a while, but oh, the tragic end of these passing pleasures. He's hungry He's friendless, he's alone, and he is far from home and his father. You know, as we think about this particular chapter, Luke 15, how rich it is in so many ways. Three stories, one drama. If you look at the three parables... First of all, Luke 15, verses 1 uh, through 7, and what it says about the lost sheep. Some people are lost due to ignorance. It seems as if it is just the tendency of sheep to stray. 
And so it is with many of us. And it's interesting that the Bible would use that type of terminology concerning people. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. But when we look at Luke 15 verses 8 through 10 and the parable of the lost coin, not only are some people lost due to ignorance, but some are lost due to thoughtlessness. Interestingly enough, in this parable, the coin was lost due to the thoughtlessness of someone else. Sometimes people are lost due to the thoughtlessness of others. How sad, how tragic, how awful. But in Luke 15 verses 11 through 32, in the parable of the prodigal son, we understand that some people are lost due to rebelliousness. Sin separates men from God, Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Our great God is a purer eyes than to look upon sin. Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. And as we think about this story of the prodigal, it reminds us of why some are lost. Some are lost simply due to rebellion against God. It's important to get the setting Oftentimes, people want to dive into these three parables in Luke 15, but they fail to notice the occasion, the setting. And Luke 15 verses 1 and 2 are especially important to understanding the rest of this chapter. Luke 15 verses 1 and 2 indicate that tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus to hear Him, and that there were those present on that occasion, the Pharisees, the scribes, those who were quite rigid in the way that they approached God and following Him, who complained, who murmured, who muttered, and the expression that is used in Luke 15 verses 1 and 2 is quite emphatic. They were letting their thoughts be known. They were very plain spoken as they said, This man receives sinners. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. In other words, they were not happy at all that Jesus would associate with the tax collectors and the sinners. It is amazing to pick up the gospel account of Luke and notice how it emphasizes salvation, that it is indeed the gospel to the outcast. In Luke chapter 5 and verses 30 through 32, the word of God has Jesus saying, I did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Many of you will be familiar with Luke 19 and verse 10, where the Lord says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke 7, verses 33 and 34, Jesus was associated with sinners and called their friend. And so it's not 
unusual at all to see the Pharisees and the scribes here in this chapter, Luke 15, 1 and 2, being upset. They are upset because of the type of people with whom Jesus associates. Now, the Pharisees and scribes were upset with Jesus often for three basic reasons. One reason is this. They said He violates the Sabbath. For example, Luke chapter 6, verses 2 through 11. And then again in Luke chapter 14, just prior to the one that we're studying, verses 3 through 6. But Jesus, as the Son of God, was Lord of the Sabbath. And they had failed to uh, understand what types of traditions they had added to the law that showed disrespect for God and a lack of love for Him. Remember Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. But one of the things that supposedly got the Pharisees, the scribes, so upset was the fact that Jesus violates the Sabbath. But he did not. He was Lord of the Sabbath. But secondly, they were often upset with Jesus because his claims were too outrageous. In John 5 and verse 18, he claims to be equal with God. And in John 10, verses 30 through 36, he would say, I and the Father are one to these religious people. They understood that his claim was far beyond that of being a mere mortal man. That he was claiming equality with God. And oh, how upset they were because Jesus claimed to be God, claimed to be equal with God. And yet Scripture repeatedly affirms just that. And before the very eyes of those people who were present on that occasion, those who heard the words of Jesus, the one drama in the form of these three parables, they were listening to the very words of God and they were in the very presence of the Son of God. John 1, 1 through 4. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. God came to earth. He took our sins on His body. He was guilty by association. But the scribes and the Pharisees couldn't see that. But one of the things that truly upset the scribes and the Pharisees regarding Jesus is found right here in Luke 15. He associates with the wrong kind of people. Look at the people that Jesus associates Himself he associates himself with tax collectors and with sinners. Surely a word or two is in order here. The scribes and the Pharisees simply could not conceive of anyone truly being from God who would associate with that kind of people, with those people, tax collectors, Tax collectors were generally regarded by the culture of that time, by the Jews of that time, as being disloyal. The Roman Empire was the force on earth at that time. And when we think about the Roman Empire, they would have these 
tax collectors. And here in Palestine and in Israel, it would be Jewish tax collectors. And those who were Jewish tax collectors were sort of regarded as traitors by the rest of the Jews. How can you collect money for, for, for this nation, the Roman nation? You're turning your back on your fellow Israelites. But not only were they considered disloyal, but these tax collectors were often considered dishonest. They were dishonest. There was a quota that each tax collector had to get that was required of him as a tax collector by the Roman Empire. And once he got that quota, he was able to pilfer the rest and utilize it in basically any way he chose. He had made his quota. It was all about getting your quota and then some. So being a tax collector could be very lucrative especially if you were dishonest. But not just that. Tax collectors were disreputable. They would have been viewed with disdain by the typical, view, the typical Jew of Christ's time. With disdain. As disloyal, dishonest, and disreputable. And Jesus is associating with them but he also associates with the sinners according to the scribes and the Pharisees. And they complain, they mutter, they murmur. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, Neither murmur you as they did in the wilderness. Speaking of the Israelites, after they were released from Egyptian bondage. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, do all things without murmuring and complaining. If the scribes and Pharisees would have truly stopped griping and murmuring and started looking, listening, it is amazing what they would have seen and then what they would have heard. But Jesus associates with sinners. He blasphemes. He cannot be who he claims. Well, sinners would basically fall into one of two categories. The most obvious category of sinner would include those people who are just involved in all types of immorality. Those people who would be bad, really bad people. Well, that's one type of sinner that Jesus associated with. And I think it's important to bring out what the text says here. The text says that there were many people who were tax collectors and sinners who drew near him to hear him. This is not just an isolated few. One or two tax collectors or sinners, but a number are coming into the presence of Jesus, drawing near to hear him. There was something so special, something so unique, something so tremendous about Jesus, His character and His message that He was a magnet for hurting lost people. And the scribes and the Pharisees could not understand that. Perhaps it is a fitting question for us to ask ourselves as Christians... And for us to ask ourselves concerning the congregations of which we might be a part. 
do we attract sinners? Do we welcome sinners? A young man about the age of 12 or 13 attended a congregation. He had a horrible upbringing. He would often be ridiculed by his friends for attending the worship privilege of God's people. And as they would make fun of him, he would say to them, Listen, one thing I know, they know how to love a fellow over there. Could that be said of the congregation of which we're a part? Would that be true of us as Christians, that we know how to love someone where we are in the church, in the local congregation? Sinners. Not just this type of sinner is in view, but also to the scribes and Pharisees, Another type of sinner was in view, and it's the type of sinner that the person really didn't take seriously enough all of the rigors and demands of the law. And so the scribes and Pharisees looked down on those people as sinners. They did not observe the law and the traditions as we do. Repeatedly, you see this emphasis in the gospel account of Luke, especially in Luke 15 through 19. Here in Luke 15, we see that the prodigal, one who is down, one who is an outcast, one who basically to the culture of the time was such a horrible person because of the way he had mistreated his family and misused his life. Such a waste. God welcomes him. We look at Luke chapter 16 and verses 19 through 31 and we see again as we look at the rich man and Lazarus, we see how that Lazarus, the beggar on earth, is one who is blessed in the afterlife. And that the rich man, while so rich and how he fared sumptuously on earth, he is in torment in the afterlife. The gospel that blesses the outcast. In Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, there are ten men who are lepers... What a hideous and awful disease that carried with it a, a great social stigma. Jesus heals all ten of them in Luke 17, 11 through 19. But only one comes back. And the words of Jesus are so penetrating. The questions asked by our Lord are so profound were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? And as we think about this, there is another point that Luke 17 brings out. The one who came back to say thank you was a Samaritan. 
the gospel for the outcast. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, there is a passage that I think is so crucial to our appreciating what's found here in Luke 15. In Luke 18, 9 through 14, there is the Pharisee and there is the publican. And the entire parable was given because of this. The Lord gave the parable in response to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they looked down on others. Oh, friend, are we sometimes prone to look down on sinners because we've gotten our act together? We trust in ourselves that we are righteous and we look down on others. And recall there in Luke 18 verses 9 through 14 that the Pharisee gives an ode to self. I thank you that I am not like other men. Other men, And he looks off to the side. You can see, I, I thank you I'm not like this, this publican, this sinner over here. How right he was. He was truly nothing like the publican because the publican with great humility would not even look up to heaven. He smote, he struck his breast, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He went to his home justified, the Lord said. He realized his need of God, a God who cares, a God who values, who loves, who considers precious lost souls, who wants everyone to know that joy is the serious business of heaven and a place where joy is true constantly. The Word of God indicates there's even more joy in heaven when a sinner repents, when a lost soul comes home. And then in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, there's the story of Zacchaeus, a tax collector. Note the context there. Note the context of Luke 15. Here's a man who's a tax collector, and Jesus sees him up in the tree, and he says, I am coming to your house today. Come on down from that tree. Sometimes people say things to be unkind, critical, and malicious. And certainly that was the intent of the scribes and Pharisees in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Having just said that this man receives sinners and eats with them, it's important to consider Luke 15 and verse 3. He spoke this parable to them. Three parables are given by the Lord in response to the attitude of those present on that occasion. Those scribes and Pharisees who looked down on him for associating with tax collectors and sinners. Now, a parable is quite simply a comparison. As many of you have heard, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is something like a heavenly sledgehammer because it causes us to get the point, to get the message as we look at reality 
and to take earthly reality and to see spiritual truth behind that reality. So the three stories, the three parables of Luke 15 are given to help the scribes and the Pharisees and all those present on that occasion to realize that God does indeed care for sinners, that joy really is the serious business of heaven, and that when someone is away from the Father, when someone is away from the shepherd, the one who values us, when someone is away from the Father, there may be joy for a while, but it doesn't last. May God help us to remember these truths.